an update on Red Sea shipping, same-day delivery drives higher revenues, and what customers feel about their retail experiences. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the Group Editorial Director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Aptian. Aptian is a global provider of mission-critical, industry-specific logistics and transportation management solutions. Aptian Proof of Delivery provides advanced transportation systems to world-leading brands, helping to transform final mile delivery services, boost operational efficiencies, and drive business growth. Your delivery operation can be a powerful vehicle to deliver game-changing customer service. Visit aptian.com and discover what's next now. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insights into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, transportation networks continue to be disrupted by the ongoing militia attacks on shipping in the Red Sea. To find out the latest and what shippers can do and should be doing to counteract the effects of these bottlenecks, we welcome our guest today, Eric Fullerton. He's the Senior Director of Product Marketing at Project 44. Welcome, Eric. Thanks for joining us on Logistics Matters. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Eric, for those not familiar with Project 44, can you very briefly describe how your company fits into the supply chain and your role there? Yeah, of course. So a good way to think about Project 44 is that our, our goal is really to act as the connective tissue of global supply chains. So we've spent the last nine years trying to digitalize one of the, the largest industries in the world. Many folks may know us for our core solution, which is visibility. We provide that for all modes and nodes in all regions all across the globe. And we have a host of other products as well. And what we're really trying to help our customers do is optimize their supply chains to make them run more efficient and effective. Really being able to run a lower cost supply chain that operates at a higher velocity. And I lead the product marketing function here at Project 44, focused on go to market, what's happening in our industry, communicating the value of what our product team delivers, educating, enabling our sales teams. And uh, the most fun part is getting to talk to uh, folks like you about what's going on in the industry. Great. Well, we appreciate you being with us today. And of course, we're talking about the Red Sea. Could you briefly provide a current update on what's going on there? Yeah, absolutely. So the the update is that the, the Houthis have persisted in their targeting of commercial vessels in the Bab al-Mandeb Strait. And um, there's been these drone attacks that have been persistent over the, the past three months or so. And we've seen them affect ships from MSC, Hapag Lloyd, Maersk. Um, and, and what we're still seeing is that the, the vast, vast majority of vessels are being forced to reroute away from the Red Sea and Bab al-Mandeb Strait and going around the Horn of Africa. The data that our platform is able to show uh, has about four, 545 vessels uh, rerouting around the Red Sea. And that adds, now it's more probably seven to 10 days of additional transit time. In the early stages of this, uh, the, the delays were upwards of, of 20 days. Um, so there has not been a notable change in the reduction of attacks or the, the decisions from carriers to pass through that strait, meaning shippers, logistic service providers, 
have to find ways to manage and handle the the longer transit times and, and the reroutes for those vessels. And of course, the U.S. and the United Kingdom have been uh, sending military attacks, uh, missile attacks to the bases where those uh, drones have been coming from. Have they had any effect? Are, are, are vessels still getting through at all? Or is, has everyone else just decided to, to reroute and not even attempt a passage in the Red Sea? Yeah, so it, it was interesting, actually, with Operation Prosperity Guardian, which is the initiative you're referring to, there was an original like feeling of, I think, relief and confidence after that was announced and they kind of came into the, the Strait and the Red Sea. In fact, Maersk, who had previously said they were not, they were, they were pausing shipments through that area, announced that they were resuming them. Um, and then just one week later, one of their vessels was, was attacked and they, they paused again. So while that may be having some effect in terms of the mitigation of and volume of attacks, the majority, the vast, vast majority of all major carriers are just completely avoiding the area. Um, there are still, there is still some traffic that's going through there, and that is primarily not freight that is bound for the West. Right. So, of course, this is having effects on the Suez Canal and its traffic there. Uh, diplomatic relations and, and negotiations haven't seemed to, to help anything. As you mentioned, people have to reroute their shipping around the Horn of Africa. Are there other alternatives to that? There, there are, right? So the, the primary lane that this is affecting is Asia through the Mediterranean to Europe, right? So if you are in the U.S. or South America, um, you know, you can take the you know, several different lanes across the Pacific, um, which may have some latent impact in, you know, ports of LA and Long Beach and things like that. You know, it's, it is the primary lane from any goods from Asia that are coming to Europe. So the only other option outside of rerouting is through, around the Cape of Good Hope would be to expedite via air freight, which I think is not palatable for the majority of these of these businesses, depending on the, the cost benefit analysis there. Um, they may do so to prevent stockouts. Um, and then the other option is really to potentially do some, some ground expedites when that freight has arrived at its inland destination. So rather than wait for it to go, you know, all the way up to Rotterdam, um, they may want to do a ground expedite from ports in Spain or Greece, something like that. So the options for, for European shippers are, are pretty limited. Is rail an alternative, or is that just too far of a distance to bring things by rail? I would not do it. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I think it's possible. Anything is possible, but it would require a significant amount of time that would end up being spent not just on the rail, but at different rail yards and the connection points and those those rail terminals that I think would make it a less than viable option. You know, I, you know, seven days. 10 days is challenging, but if you think now, right, we've had two months to kind of manage and think through what this impact would be. And now most shippers are at least able to bake this in to some degree to their planning, right? And I think that helps them navigate. I think it maybe makes, you know, it's gonna tighten up their inventory and maybe put some pressure on their safety stock. But I, I think that they, feel at least now, maybe not the same six weeks ago, 
that they can handle it through that you know seven to ten day rerouting. And as you mentioned, uh, this is putting pre more pressure on Europe than it is the United States, but uh, a lot of product does come into the East Coast from across the Atlantic and through that route and through the, the Suez Canal. Is this driving any initiatives to rethink about reshoring or nearshoring, bringing manufacturing closer than to have that manufacturing done in Asia? I think it's another data point in the conversation and for organizations that maybe have already already started to do some of the nearshoring, that may be a, an option to encourage them to, to do a little bit more, but I don't think it's gonna fundamentally change the cost benefit analysis. If you have to bake in seven days, I think if you're still looking at price, even with the, the million dollars that it costs to reroute goods around the Cape of Good Hope, that's just fuel costs. You know, I think it's a data point in the conversation, but I don't think it's going to be the the straw that broke the proverbial camel's back. You did mention air and of course rerouting and some other things. Yeah. Are are there other options that shippers have or ways that they can counteract the effects of bypassing the Suez Canal? Well, I think what's been interesting is that we we've seen for for our customer base, what we've been able to offer them is in our, you know, in our platform, they are able to view all of the shipments, all of the inventory, and all of the vessels that are that are impacted by this. And we've got some some AI on on our in our in our system that helps really provide these super accurate ETAs. And what our customers have been able to do have been to take those ETAs and those timing and those delays and really map that to their inventory and stock across their different distribution centers and warehouses across their, their regions and, and kind of make a confidence call on whether or not they feel safe or not. And if not, then, then they get into the conversation of you know, air expediting to prevent stockouts or potentially allowing their safety stock to get down to just one or two days versus the, the traditional you know, seven that they may wanna have. Um, so the conversations are more focused around that type of navigating, then I want to use a different path to get my freight from point A to point B. It's really how do I, with this scenario, make the best of it with all of the other inventory planning tools, visibility solutions that I've invested in, maybe post-COVID, to make to make better decisions, which I think is is an improvement, right, in terms of the maturity of of the approach. I agree. I guess it's just another thing that uh, is causing, continuing to cause disruption in our world and probably not anything that's going to go away anytime soon. Yeah. I mean, we, we just heard from the CEO of Maersk. He said, I expect this specific issue to last at least six months. Um, so this is one of those issues, right? If we look at the Panama Canal, we've seen from drought and regulation issues that are occurring there. You know, we've seen weather impact the supply chain. We've seen some geopolitical events. There's been wars that may have impacted it. There's been e economic issues, disease. But what is so unique to me about this is that this is a, a geopolitical issue and the direct result is attacking the way that humans get their goods. And it's so direct and distinct and specific to supply chains that I, I've, I found it quite fascinating. I don't think we've seen anything so so direct that's intentional impacting the way that 
that freight is is kind of delivered all across the globe. So I find it I find it quite an interesting scenario. Our guest today has been Eric Fullerton. He's the senior director of product marketing at Project 44. Thank you again, Eric, for being with us this week. Absolutely, the pleasure was mine. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. And Victoria, you wrote a story this week about some new research into same-day delivery trends. Can you share the details? Absolutely, Dave. Happy to. So, yeah, that's right. New research into demand for same-day delivery shows that it's not just hype. Consumers still want fast service, and it can actually add up to higher revenue for companies that provide it. That's according to a, a report published this week by crowdsourced delivery platform Rody. Now, Rody is a UPS company, and it provides local next and same-day delivery service. For the report, uh, they surveyed 150 supply chain leaders across retail, manufacturing, and distribution whose companies offer same-day delivery. 80% of them reported increased revenue after implementing same-day service, with nearly a third reporting a revenue rise of more than 10%. They also cited three primary benefits of the service, higher customer satisfaction, increased sales, and improved retention rates. 68% of the respondents also indicated that the ROI on their same-day service has consistently trended upward. So for most of the companies surveyed here, at least, it's been a pretty good decision. Yeah, it seems to be. Um, did the report mention anything about costs? Because, of course, we know it can be expensive to add same-day delivery service to a company's offerings. You're right. Uh, yeah. And yes, yes, it did address that. So the survey found that 70% of the companies experienced higher operational costs after rolling out same-day delivery, and that can lead to higher prices for consumers. Um, almost 30% of the respondents reported raising their product prices to offset those delivery costs, while others said they implemented delivery fees. 17% charged an annual fee for the service, 14% charged a one-time flat fee, another 13% said they charged a same-day fee on each order, and another 13% said they charged a monthly fee. Nearly a quarter said they offered a free trial before implementing any of those fees. But 21% uh, of the companies said they didn't do any of that. They didn't charge customers or raise prices, and 7% said they uh, actually decreased their prices after adopting same-day delivery. So for many companies, and they noted this in the port report, it really comes down to figuring out how to implement the most cost-efficient delivery models, so there's some work to be done there. Um, but overall, uh, my takeaway was that the research seems to show that there's still a pretty strong demand out there for fast delivery service. Yeah, I think you're right, Victoria. Um, customer convenience remains a priority, and so the industry is going to have to figure out how to make uh, same-day delivery affordable and workable. Absolutely. Thanks, Victoria. You're welcome. And, of course, retailers have been among the biggest users of same-day delivery. And, Ben, you and I were both at the Retail Industry Leaders Association conference that was held this week in Dallas, and we met and heard from a lot of retailers. What were your takeaways about what's going on in the retail landscape? Yeah, exactly. We uh, met with a lot of logistics and transportation providers, everyone from railroads to trucking fleets to software vendors were at that Rela show. But we also had a chance at that show, obviously its strength there is to hear from their customers, and that's the retailers who pay to ship freight through all those networks. We covered a lot of interesting sessions and keynotes. Uh, two of them that struck my mind, um, first one was Nordstrom, uh, that's a high-end department store for fashion and clothing. 
they were talking about how they used their supply chain in order to achieve one of the company's trademarks or goals, which is what they call, quote, legendary customer service. So one lesson on how they pursue that all the time is that uh, they measure their customer experience from several different angles. That includes what they call both attitudinal, which is what customers say they think about the shopping experience, and behavioral, which is what steps they actually take when they're using the website or making orders. And then they try to meet those demands uh, by sort of flexing their supply chain. Uh, for example, they said the company was recently in a situation where it was offering free two-day delivery, but just to its membership card holders. But their chief supply chain officer, who was speaking on stage at Rila there, uh, she told their president for digital and customer experience that Nordstrom could actually open up that service level for all of its customers. And within 30 days, the operational team there had launched that new policy. And according to Nordstrom, that change has driven more repeat behavior and better sales. Hmm. That, that sounds like some impressive customer service. What was the other example of, uh, of a session you heard? Yeah, the other example I heard, um, again, on how uh, companies are, are you know, using their supply chain uh, to really meet the customer was f uh, less about sort of high-end expedited service, more about mass market. Uh, so this was Walmart, uh, obviously uh, enormous retailer, um, you know, for, for a, a much more broad market than Nordstrom. Uh, but they've been investing in what they call a massive digital and physical transformation of their fulfillment network. So the company's senior vice president for end-to-end -end delivery was speaking at the Rila show. Uh, and they described how that huge chain now uses its sort of classic brick and mortar stores as what they call delivery hubs. So that can manage like a wide variety of tasks. Uh, they mentioned fulfillment, shipping, delivery, market fulfillment, parcel station operations. Uh, another thing that Walmart does, uh, they get sort of extra mileage out of their nationwide delivery network through a division that's called Walmart Go Local, which basically opens up that network for other retailers to use. It's uh, under a white label delivery service platform. And it's for other businesses, smaller ones, they're seeking last mile fulfillment. So the example that we heard about at Rila was that uh, Walmart provides that service uh, for 1-800-Flowers. Uh, so that they use Walmart Go Local to power some of their gift delivery service, which of course includes perishable products. Uh, they mentioned the fresh flowers, cookies, fruit baskets. So the next time you send or receive those flowers, uh, they might actually be delivered by Walmart's network. Yeah. It's very interesting, I think, to see how retailers are selling more than just their own products, but have actually diversified to offer what a lot of them do best, such as their fulfillment and delivery services. So it, it's kind of interesting to see that all open up. It was really interesting to hear those details. It, it all comes down to supply chain. It does. Thanks, Ben. Yep. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. Also check out the podcast notes section for some direct links to read more about the topics we discussed today. And we'd like to thank Eric Fullerton of Project 44 for being our guest. We welcome your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at agilebme.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform. Our new episodes are uploaded each Friday. Speaking of subscribing, check out our sister podcast series, Supply Chain in the Fast Lane. It's co-produced by the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals and Supply Chain Exchange. 
We have a new series starting on Tuesday focused on the supply chain jobs of tomorrow. So check out Supply Chain in the Fast Lane wherever you get your podcasts. And a reminder that Logistics Matters is sponsored by Aptian. Forged from decades of industry experience, Aptian Proof of Delivery supports global delivery fulfillment operations with the tools they need to increase efficiency, gain real-time visibility, automate communications, and enhance the delivery experience for customers. Your delivery operation can be a powerful vehicle to deliver game-changing customer service, reduce cost, and drive growth. Aptian Proof of Delivery can help. Visit aptian.com and discover how now. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters. Be sure to join us. Until then, have a great week.